Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Thanks again to, for joining me for Beneath the Wing, where I'm joined today by Master Sergeant Christopher Opsgar, or Chris, one of our maintainers on our C-130 aircraft, and notably a Princeton grad. He's got an extraordinarily diverse Air National Guard portfolio, which we'll get to after a bit. For those who regularly listen to the podcast, first off, thank you. Um, and second of all, a quick note on one of my past guests, episode 22 which we're on 24, but episode 22's Jelani Olton had a another MMA bout this past weekend and won by tap out. So congrats to Jelani. I'm still not looking to spar with you. Congratulations. So, yeah, no kidding. So speaking of tough guys, welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks, Chief. Yeah. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you, and uh, thanks for uh, representing Maintenance Group and coming in for an interview. Sometimes you guys are a uh, not very talkative batch to people that are outside of your own little circle. That's true sometimes. We're busy. I understand. Um, you're pretty unique in that you've been a part of three different wings and have been serving since 1998. And you started out in Fargo. So uh, then you went to Duluth, then you landed at the 133rd and a little bit of flip-flopping in and around there. So let's start at the beginning. What inspired you to join the Air National Guard? Geez, that's a good question. Uh, well, my dad served in the Guard for 23 years up in Fargo. Uh, he was an avionics uh, technician on F-4s. Another maintainer? Another maintainer, yeah. And growing up as a kid, didn't really know what that meant all too much. Um, grew up in Princeton, so one week in a month, we'd make the trip from Princeton up to Moorhead. Uh, that's where my parents are from. So both grandma and grandpa were had houses at that time, stayed with my mom's parents. And yeah, made the 200 mile trek up to, to Moorhead so my dad could go to drill and disappear on a Saturday and Sunday. I'd hang out with grandma and grandpa and then we would turn around and uh, come back home on Sunday. Uh, what made me join the guard necessarily wasn't because my, my dad was in the guard, although he did make a comment later on in life. Uh, two years after after I graduated high school in 1996, I chased the dream of playing hockey, you know, as that's what I grew up doing, and uh, played two years of that. And when that kind of ended in uh, May of 1998, didn't really have a, a direction, per se, if you will. And I told my dad I was going to take a year off, and he looked at me and he said, you're not taking no year off. I don't know. He, he's a teacher, too, so we'll maybe get into that a little bit. And he said, You'll join, you can join the guard. At that point, I wasn't really opposed to it, didn't know too much about it. So uh, we went to the recruiter up in uh, Fargo and, you know, started to do the process. And I, I at that time, they had six jobs open. I qualified for three of them. The jobs were... You must have had really high ASVAB scores. Uh, well, I, I don't know. So, the, the, yeah, no, I, don't, I don't know about that. But the, the jobs that were open that I qualified for were security police, EOD, that's emergency ordinance disposal. Sure, and yeah. uh, aircraft armament. Okay. And I went and looked at the armament shop, not necessarily the other two, and seemed to be like, this might be a fit for me, and ended up joining. Was it the bombs, or was it the planes you got to work close by? Uh, as far as armament? Yeah. What, yeah. Drew, what drew you to that career, I guess, is that? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I mean, EOD, dangerous, yeah. but I don't think I wanted that much danger or that much... Uh, fun, you know, cutting a wire. As you see in the movies, maybe that's a misconceived notion, but yeah, I didn't want to cut the wrong wire. So right. I felt like, you know, loading bombs and missiles and, you know, doing that and working on F-16s were great. I love that airframe. Uh, obviously, it's what I kind of grew up with, but uh, yeah, it's great. So your dad grew up working with F-4s up in North Dakota. Yep. Am I saying it right? North Dakota? Oh, sure. All right, good. Uh, and then by the time you got in and joined the Happy Hooligans up there, they had transferred over to F-15s? F-16s. Yep. F-16, sorry. Yeah, they had the oldest uh, F-16s in the in the inventory. They had A models. And I think my dad was right at the tail end when they switched from F-4s to F-16s. So he didn't know much about the 
avionics packages on F-16s. But as a kid, um, if I'd ever get out to the base, I'd always see the F-4 sitting in the hangar, and you know, every once in a while, I got a chance to sit in one of them. So fun. Yeah, yeah. They were they were one of those really cool planes. Yeah, and you know, as the weapons loaders would tell you, not fun to load bombs and missiles on just due to the severity of how low the plane was. Oh so, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So you stayed at Fargo from '98 to 2006 ish or so, and then came down here to the. I, I did well. Yep. The reason that happened is you know we lost our mission up in Fargo, so we lost our planes, and you know, not knowing what that might look like. Uh, and graduating from NDSU in 2004, I decided just to make the switch down to the cities and. Uh, um, that's when I joined the two tenth. So as a cable puller, for for people that don't quite understand, the two tenth they install new communications equipment throughout the world, mostly for the Department of Defense, and that's just one of the units that we have out here with a very specialized job. Sure. Yep. Com cable and antenna systems is, was the whole thing, and went back to Shepherd, and I've pretty much lived in Shepherd almost a year of my life. Probably over a year. So in Texas. Yeah, in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So I joined the two tenth in uh, two thousand six. Went to school and uh, and in two thousand and nine ish, two thousand and ten ish, I went back up to Duluth and became a weapons guy again. You missed the planes. Yeah, I missed the planes. Or did the family move up there? No, no, no. I still live down here. I missed the planes, and uh, you know, it's sometimes it like you know this podcast. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, I just don't think the job necessarily, I don't want to say suited me because that's that's the wrong word, but uh, yeah, it's just, you know, great people over the two tenth had fun. I just was looking for something else and they're, you know, trying times in my life also. Uh, so went back up to Duluth and was up there until 2013, I think, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And then came back down here. Joined back. Back at the two tenth for a short time, and yep. then you uh, you landed at maintenance. Yeah, I landed in maintenance. I landed over at uh, uh, fuel shop, and I was there and had uh, orders to go to tech school. And I had a buddy, uh, Eric Moen, uh, who was crew chief at the time, and you know I was kind of looking for a full time job in my life too. And you know there wasn't a lot of movement in the fuel shop, and I decided like you know what maybe I should just. Maybe go where their jobs were a little bit more plentiful, and sure. uh, decided to uh, cancel those orders, which was not an easy thing to do. And uh, Colonel Hawkins, who was a captain at that time, was like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sure. It's what I want to do." All right. And uh, yeah, went to uh, tech school for being a crew chief in 2014 at Shepherd Air Force Base at in Shep Texas at again. Shep That's right, sir. Yep. Well, Bucky Duck. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so lot, lots of uh, lots of moving around. Chris, that's two pretty significant life changes. One in looking for full time work with the uniform on, and two changing career paths for I think that's the third time in your military career, fourth now. Um, even though you didn't quite finish the fuels training, but you still you switch jobs. Sure. Uh, you looked for the career path, um, and then you became a crew chief. And I'm just a guy that grew up in support group. Uh, that's kind of the maintaining and and upkeep of all of the buildings and and the behind the scenes mission stuff. Crew chief is kind of a special position and it takes a special person to do that. Can you explain what being a crew chief is to somebody that doesn't quite understand um, how we do our mission out here? Yeah, that, you know, I think when it, I don't want to say one of my downfalls, but I'm, I'm a doer, so I like to do my work and not really talk about my work. Uh, so when people ask you, like, what do you do for a living? Um, you know, if you watch NASCAR, the, you know, and like, you're, you're the crew chief. You're, you are uh, the guy, you know, the pilots are the drivers. They come get in the planes, and the crew chief is the guy who's responsible for, for the plane and everything that goes on with it and uh, help managing all the specialists in the back shop. Uh, it's it's a job that definitely suits me, and I, it's one of the greatest jobs I've ever had. Is it the ownership of the plane, or is it the doing of the work? It's both for uh -huh. me. For me, it personally is. I oh, I I think I go back to when I was a weapons guy, and you know we can go up to an F sixteen and load it with live munitions. I can do all the forms, sign all that kind of stuff off. We can go to the end of the runway, 
and I'm the last guy that touches the plane saying, yeah, pilot, you know, you got all your thing that you need to, to go do your job. And, you know, and personally, it's just kind of the way I think I'm geared. Uh, so some of the other jobs that I have had in the guard uh, were great jobs, great people. You know, I'm just more geared towards the maintenance side of the house. Sure, sure. Does your, so your name is on the side of a plane, is that right? Yes, when you're it the is. group chief? It says Christopher, not Chris. It does, huh? Yeah. Well, it's how okay, professional. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to give you a good nickname. We'll put something between that. Yeah, sure. Got uh, lots of them. <laughs> when, first off, does your plane have a personality? Or well, are they all the same? They look no, all the same, No, they're right? not all the same. You know, okay. they're, they have their little idiosyncrasies, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm a movie guy, and my tail's 007, so you know, I'm a James Bond guy, so I guess we're stealthy. Are you? Yeah. Four fans of freedom. Sure. Very stealthy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Does your plane sound different than other ones? Uh, you know what? That, that's a good question. I haven't uh, flown on it maybe but once Yeah. because, uh, you know, doesn't really matter where we're going. Sometimes you just jump on different tails. I've actually flown on aircraft five quite a bit. The one that uh, had the little runway, you know, you know, yeah, the gear, the gear collapse. Yep, the gear, the gear collapse, and every so often, right? Yeah, and every, and I wasn't here at that time, but every so often when I'm flying on that thing, there's just like a, for me personally, it seems like there's a drone that goes through the plane, right? Uh -huh. Like, and probably has nothing to do with anything. It's just the way the plane is. But sure. uh, yeah. So yeah, but they all have their own personalities, I guess. But I think the, the thing that stands out the most is they pretty much all have the same airframe hours on them. So when one breaks and uh, has problems, there's another one to pick up the slack. And yeah. When you become a crew chief, you spend a lot of time out on the plane. I mean, usually the plane will go into the hangar and you can fix stuff and it's indoors and it's at least heated this time of year when there's snow on the ground, it's kind of nice. But you guys spend a lot of time outside in the elements um, getting that plane ready for the drivers, the pilots to come out and, and borrow your plane for a little while. What are the challenges? I mean, we live in Minnesota, right? You, you grew up in Princeton and you, you started your garden in Fargo, but maintaining that plane and getting it ready for a mission out in the elements, how do you keep people that work with you motivated to do that kind of work? Uh, that, uh, I think... One of the things I've kind of always been a part of, or you know, is just work, work by doing, see by doing, kind of a thing. So if, I feel like if people see me working hard, they're just going to follow suit. Um, it it is a challenge compared to what I we did as a weapons guy on F-16s. Those planes were always in hangars, and uh, it's a big task. And it was one of my not not necessarily a downfall, but something that took me a while, and I think takes everybody a while, especially our new. Uh, people or whoever gets to be a crew chief on a, on a C-130, it, it's, a, it's a two or three year kind of learning curve of how it works. And here in Minnesota, you know, we only, we have four seasons, so every season is different. Uh, so you work on the plane for a year, but yeah, you might not have the winter, but once, and you need that two or three times to become proficient. But uh, it's just a team effort out there. It, it really is. We're like little ants doing our own little thing. And uh, there's a, every morning, same thing. Groundhog Day, and uh, just yeah, getting the prop heat on, getting the planes set up so uh, they're ready to go. Getting our inspections done so when the dash one comes and the engineers come out, we can, you know, breeze through that, and then you know, fly time comes when the pilots come out yep. and crew. And you're the one that gets to marshal that thing out of the out of the blocks, or yeah, sometimes. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's the younger guys. What's but yeah, what's the funnest part of being a crew chief on a plane? Most fun. Oh, is so funnest a word? It's funnest is the word. It is my, today. Good. It, no, it is in my vocabulary all, right. all the time, for sure. Uh, you know, not being, a, you know, an F-16, guys, you don't get to go anywhere with the plane. And what I've found is I've really enjoyed, you know, being able to, you know, fix our plane. But then, you know, when our planes go TDY or they go over the desert, it's just sitting on it and seeing all the people on the plane who are going to do exactly what you're doing or whoever we're hauling. Um, when I did my first jet out in Tacoma, Washington, and watched the Army guys go out the back, I went up to, to see that. Sometimes we can do ride-alogs, and that was just very eye-opening to me. Um, and I, I don't want to say it wasn't until then that I realized, you know, the importance that we do, or the, what our mission carries. But when you see it in action, 
for me, that's kind of the, the learner I am. It, it is just gratifying. Uh, yeah, so. How many people are a part of that team that kind of makes that mission happen? You know, it's just you and one other person's name is on that plane, right? But yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people that are working with you and around you and for you to make sure that that plane gets up. What does that team consist of? Well, it's a good question. Uh, it's kind of a, I can answer that a thousand different ways. I'll just kind of give it the best shot here. So our team, you know, our team, as far as the flight line's concerned, you know, we have a, a DCC and an ACC or, you know, for your wage grade, it's a, a 12 and a 10, right? Uh, and they are the, you know, Monday through Friday in charge of it. And then we have our traditionals that, that fall under that. Uh, and usually a plane has between five and six, somewhere around there, four to four to six traditionals uh, that we have to, you know, on the weekends train and get ready to make sure that they can do the mission that we do out here Monday through Friday uh, successfully, especially when we deploy. Uh, in re relation to that, I mean, you talk about the team effort, all the back shops that we deal with, I mean, we got to be in great comp or great. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Communication with them, uh, and yeah, it's I. I think one of the things that appeals to me in maintenance is just it's team focused. It's team oriented. I played sports when I grew up, and it's a team, 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 uh, all hands on deck kind of a thing. Sort of like a big family, right? It is. It it definitely is. That's another reason that I you know. I love what I do, and I will sit here and tell anybody and look them in the face and said, I, I truly believe, for me personally, Chris Opsker, I have the best job in the world. It's good to hear that. Yeah. I've asked this of a few maintainers that I've had on, on, the, on the podcast, and you talk about the team and how there's back shops, yep. and then there's the crew chiefs, yep. and then there's the people upstairs that work in the carpet area. Sure. Yeah, the bosses. Somebody's <laughs> got to sign the paycheck, right? Sure. Um, Everybody's working in that family, and we kind of develop this sense of a relationship with each other where, yeah, we fight sometimes like a family, but we also love each other like a family. Is that unique to the military? I mean, you you went to college. You had some experience out in the civilian world before you got a full-time gig with the Guard. The ability to build relationships and, and have those relationships that are close enough to have... Um, this, there is one outcome in, in mind. We have to get the planes up in the air, and we'll fight with each other, but at the end of the day, that's what centers us. Is that unique to the military, and how do you build that? Well, I did, uh, when I graduated from NDSU in 2004, I got to go on the civilian world and work for five years. I worked as an assistant property manager assistant property manager, manager in commercial real estate. And uh, that, that, it's just, they're, they're two totally different worlds, right? So, you know, in that world, yeah, there, there is a team, but it's, everyone's kind of doing their own thing, right? Their own job. And in the guard world, we're all usually geared towards a certain focus. Uh, obviously, it's not for profit, so that, makes it a different uh, realm too as if you will but uh, yeah I I don't know <laughs> it's, it's hard to put a finger on isn't it yeah it it really is that and I it is something that I look forward to and I drive on base every day and I give the guards my uh, my idea it, it's you know I know that I am you know I don't sounds corny saying going to work with my family but it just yeah just like family who are who are there for you if you need to leave at a moment's notice. It's kind of what we have here with the guard. I know one thing I like about my job is I got 16, 20 other crew chiefs that are doing exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and at any time, if there is something that comes up or I have to get pulled away from a plane, they know exactly what they can do and they can fall in right behind me and or whoever and continue the mission and continue the job. And, uh, yeah takes a little bit of effort to build a culture and a climate like that, but once it's there and it's clicking, that's something that's kind of special, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. 
Do we do we have? I, okay, so you've mentioned that kind of culture and that climate that you guys have in maintenance here at the one thirty third in the middle of Minnesota. But you've been a part of two other pretty big units, the Happy Hooligans up in Fargo, yeah, and the one forty eighth up in Duluth. Now those are fighter wings, right? Sure. Little little fast planes. Different mentality. And ours are big, slow, lumbering giants that move a lot of stuff. A yep. lot of soldiers, sailors, and Marines to where they need to go. What's the difference in the culture between a fighter wing and a big cargo wing? I don't, you know, I don't want to say that what we got here is more special. I think it just takes. Geez, I, we got one pilot or maybe two sitting in a plane, so it's more individual. Seems like not the right word to use. Uh, they're just different. They're just different. High speed, low drag fighter world. Uh, you know, great people. Same, same camaraderie. Same team effort. Right. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. That's a hard one for me to to put my finger on. To be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you kind of sum it up. That super high speed. It seems like decisions get made a little bit faster. Um, without necessarily thinking about how that is going to impact the family dynamic, uh, just because that's just the culture and the climate from what I've seen. Would you agree with that? Uh, they all have a little bit. They all just have their, it's just, it's, you can't make apples to apples when it's actually apples to oranges. Sure. It's, they're just, the pace of what, how they do and how they fly is, is, is totally different. Right. Fair but, enough. But, you know, for me, you know, being a, a maintenance person, pretty much the same outcome. Go get planes ready so planes can fly. Yep. That's uh, for sure. Yeah. But you have a little bit of fun in the middle of it. Oh, for sure. What's it, the goofiest thing you've ever seen somebody out on the flight line do in the middle of a work day? Oh, God. Okay. Well, that I, is legal and won't get anybody in trouble after the podcast has been recorded. Oh, I don't know. I, I wish I... I wish I had something for, I mean, every blue moon, sometimes somebody will, if it's Halloween, throw on a costume and marshal out a plane looking all goofy. I might have seen somebody dancing alongside a C-130 while marshaling it. Yeah. So that, every, that may have been you. Maybe. I, oh, it was. Oh, what? Oh, is that a video? It is. Oh, that was probably in the desert <laughs> <laughs> in 2017. I might know. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a great video. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that for a long time. Well... I do a little bit of digging to get ready yeah. for these podcasts, Chris. That was fun, though. But, you know, if that's you've seen that and that looked funny, I mean, that was, you know, a moment in time where, like I said, I love what I do. So I, I, when I go to work and I work with the guys, I try to make it fun and not what we do is very serious. But we also have to have fun. And I'm all about hard work. So let's work hard and let's uh, have fun and you know, for the 23 years I've been in the military, that is kind of the, the mantra that, that we have. For sure. So you mentioned a little bit about, um, you, you tried playing hockey. You graduated from high school. You played high school hockey. I did. And then you went and had two years in the minors. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I, and you had almost as many penalty minutes as you played games. But... Because you, you can dig up these stats. Sure. We live in a state where hockey's kind of a big part of our culture and our climate. and A lot of kids play high school hockey and want to move on. What was that like when you graduated high school? Your dad's been working in the guard his whole life, and you say, hey, Dad, I'm going to go play high school hockey. Or go play junior hockey? Or, or? junior hockey. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to go play junior hockey, and I'm going to move, I don't know, to well, Sioux, it, Sioux City. Yeah, sure. Well, there's usually... Uh, a path sometimes that is uh, laid out for you and you know as I had an older brother that pretty much did the same thing uh, so yeah I grew up playing hockey it was uh, you know I, I my both my kids play hockey and I have this conversation we have this we talk about hockey obviously it's, it's not the be-all end-all for us it's really not but hockey was different when I played from what they how hockey is today uh, and, uh, sorry, what was your question again? Yeah. 
I got a little side What's check. that path like where you just oh. kind of pick up and move away with sure. this? I just want to play hockey one more year, or I really want to make it to the to the show. No, it, for me, it necessarily you know wasn't wasn't the show by any means. You know, graduating high school, becoming a senior, wondering you know what is my path, right? Um, you know, a lot of kids who went to do what I did are looking if you know. So hockey, if you're not going to get a scholarship by being a, one of the top players in the state of Minnesota as a, as a high school player, a lot of kids will go play junior A hockey uh, and try to maybe, it's usually kind of like a two-year thing and, uh, you know, maybe somebody sees you and you excel and you can secure that Division One scholarship to pay for college is what a lot of it is. And obviously you still get to continue your passion and uh, something I tried to do, it kind of worked out, kind of didn't work out, but uh, I, an experience nonetheless, happy I got to do it. Uh, played hockey all over the Midwest, lots of traveling, uh, good times. What did that teach you about taking risks in your life? Yeah, I mean, geez, let's see. When I, when I went to Sioux City, I was 18, you know, no Google Maps, no, uh, no cell phones back in 1996. I got to go from Princeton down to Sioux City, Iowa, and find of a dress and go hang on here knock on some stranger's door and be like hi i'm chris and open the door and they're like oh where are your housing parents okay great show up at a stranger's door mm -hmm. and you're living there yep and usually that goes like you have one housing parent through the course of a season i played a season in sioux city iowa and a season in bismarck north dakota and i had four housing families. So wow. There was some uh, challenges, if you'd like to call them there, that, yeah, lots of just different experiences, if you will. Sure. You spent a lot of time on the road. Oh, yeah. A lot of time, I'm sure, just practicing and playing hockey with yep. a probably pretty decent group of guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't play junior hockey if you're not a decent hockey player. And just like the guard, kind of what I related to, we all have a different skill set. Yeah, for so. sure. And we all have a different personality. Sure. And you mentioned hockey's different now than it was back in 96. How is it different for your kids that are playing now? Because I, I, had, I had kids that played hockey too. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, this is where I'm a little bit different. Maybe I'm old school, right? But it's just hockey bec has become a year-round phenomenon and more of a, a specialized thing. When I grew up, when hockey was done. I, did, I golfed a little bit, but I didn't really play any other sports. I didn't put my skates on again probably until September. And, uh, and then that's what I was geared towards. So that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as my kids go, that's what they do. You know, hockey is a, is a high school activity that, that they get to do, a youth thing. But if you're not wanting to do it year round, sometimes you get left behind. And that's that's the part that, you know, is a struggle and you know. I'm we, sure you're gonna set your kids down and say you gotta listen to this podcast because your dad's on it. Yeah, right. What is the biggest life lesson that people ought to take away from playing sports? Uh, just the commitment. I, I think the commitment is, is a big thing. Whether you are on the top team or where, whether you are on the bottom team, the commitment that you are doing that you won't realize to later and the work ethic that you put in, if you're willing to put the work in, is, is going to um, make you smile in some form or fashion later on down in life. I mean, I, I wish I could remember a lot of those times. Um, I don't because, man, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, yeah, but uh, I, you know, hockey is a sport where there are late practices and then you're a youth, there are 6 a.m. practices. And I, I just hope there are life lessons that, that they know that, uh, you know, you gotta be somewhere, you gotta be held accountable and uh, yeah, you're gonna always be there on time and someone can count on you. Sometimes that's just the biggest piece of success is showing up and being on time <laughs> and people will learn to count on you for that commitment, good, strong work ethic, and getting someplace on time. Sure. That'll get you so much farther ahead in life than a lot of other folks. Well, Agree? yeah. Yeah. 
It's what we do. It's what we do every day when we show up to work out here. Absolutely, it is, and, and we have a lot of fun and enjoy our uh, enjoy our guard family at the same time. I've been speaking with Chris Opsgar of our one thirty third maintenance group, and he's going to join me again after this quick break and a word from our recruiters. Are you struggling to stay engaged in your current AFSC? Or have you always dreamt of cross-training or retraining into a different career field? Are you active duty, thinking you need a change of pace? Many airmen forget about the ability to cross-train into a new AFSC if you have served at least three years. My name is Sergeant Nicole Huesner. I'm a recruiter here at the Minnesota Air National Guard 133rd Airlift Wing. We publish our vacancies on our Facebook page. Please feel free to reach out to any recruiter to find our current open AFSCs as well. A couple of career fields that are great for prior service members that currently have vacancies on our air wing is a flying position, flight engineers. They typically look for people who are mechanically inclined. Additionally, the 210th Engineering Squadron, which is a geographically separated unit, is looking for cable and antenna systems apprentices. Again, my name is Sergeant Nicole Huesner. I can be reached at my office number, which is 612-713-2091. Again, that number is 612-713-2091. I've been visiting with Master Sergeant Chris Opsgar from our maintenance group, a crew chief who took a little break from working out on the flight line in the cold and snowy day here in December to uh, have a little chat with me and thanks to recruiting for that important message. Um, Chris, we were talking in the break here a little bit about um, your sense of purpose and your need to stay busy and to do and you've moved around a lot in the guard and you've kind of finally found this good home and you talked a little bit about your mentor and how he kind of saw something in you and developed that. Can you talk about how that relationship start, started and really molded into something that was a powerful motivator for you? Sure. Yeah, I guess well, first I'll give a shout out to who that individual was. That was Master Sergeant uh, Adrian Skadzum, who is since uh, retired. But uh, the thing that I, that relationship was, uh, was one that, you know, as you're a crew chief and you're doing tasks and, you know, we're reading books and technical orders and uh, you're under, you know, you're doing the task and then you're doing it by the book, but then you have a question and you bring him the question and he's like, all right, yeah, you're supposed to be bringing me that question because you're supposed to be wondering what that's about in that book. Uh, and that was something he was very driven and geared, geared towards and that's something I am too. Uh, it's one reason why we, we click so well. Um, and then it was just an accountability thing. Sometimes he was like, hey, man, where you been? <laughs> been like, uh, I was over here. He's like, well, I'm over here and work started 15 minutes ago. So, you know, we got to work over here. So, and that was kind of not necessarily a hard knocks or a hard way of life on the flight line. But what we do is so hands-on and so time sensitive that, you know, you, you gotta you gotta pay attention to that. And for me personally, that was one of my struggles when I when I came to be a crew chief as a weapons guy. I was a specialist, just like we, we have our specialist fuel shop, um, hydro shop, all the all the shops there. You know, you go out in the plane, you do your specialist thing that is broken, you go back inside. Um, and it's not that I didn't have that mentality that uh, you know I didn't want to work hard or whatever, but I was. A specialist for so many years that I just didn't understand the the realm of the crew chief and how the ebbs and flows of it uh, and he had definitely helped out with that uh, and I owe him a lot of thanks yeah he kind of inspired it sounds like he inspired you to follow him until you were the leader that he wanted you to be now you have people that follow you right sure yeah they do yeah we have our uh, you know our troops, our traditionals that fall in underneath us. And, you know, I kind of hold them accountable to the state, same standards that he held me accountable to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, 
like I said, what we do, you know, you know, compared from a from an F-16 smaller airframe to a C-130, which is a school bus in the sky, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that us as crew chiefs are responsible for, uh, and all those little things have a place and make a difference in some form or fashion. Yeah, it's not necessarily a you know telling people that they have to do something, but inspiring them to, like like your mentor did. Come to me with the questions that you have, and we'll talk it over. And I'll, these are the questions you ought to be asking. Good for you for finding it. He kind of inspired you to learn more and to become more of a craftsman, didn't he? Oh yeah, for sure. And like I said, I'm this. This is a job I will never be perfect at. I will never probably know it all. Uh, I try to learn something new every day, every cycle that the plane goes through. Um, it's a big learning curve. That is one of the things, like I, I mentioned, the two to three years to become proficient at what we do out on, on the flight line and going through the seasons and going through the different inspections. Uh, and there's things that uh, the, the 10 that works under me, uh, counterbalance on the elevator, big lead weight. You know, he's worked on two of them. I've never done that. Yeah. Just because he, you know, he was doing... When we had to replace it, he was available to work on it at the time. So there's things that I haven't done that he's done. Um, and that's what's kind of neat about our job, too. So then he becomes the expert, if you will, or has some guidance. So when somebody else is doing it, or maybe me, I can go ask uh, Todd, like, hey, you know, can you help us out with this? And he knows exactly you know, the ins and outs of it. So another cool aspect of our job. Knowing that you've been doing your job since 2015, and it is now almost 2022. Yeah. And at this stage, you're still learning, and you are not the full-on expert on everything with that plane. How do you get yourself to a point of being humble enough to admit, I have, I still have things to learn? Or is that just something that is bred into you? everybody out here is that need to that thirst for more knowledge and the okay being okay with not knowing yeah i, I think that is you know obviously you you yeah uh, how do i want to say this uh, you mentioned uh being okay with not being the expert right yeah uh yeah by by no means do i want to be the expert i i'm, I'm a doer, as you had mentioned, and a fixer. I want to. I want to fix the problem, and I want to learn when I'm fixing it. And for me personally, when I have a, a situation, and I don't want a young troop to to kind of go on the road or not be familiar with something, so I'm going to spread that message and that word to them. But um, me personally, as a weapons guy, uh, you know, we do our quarterly loads, and as a as a younger guy, we get through the our loads would usually take between 40 45 minutes and you know, the trainer that I had, uh, we get to the end and he'd be like, what did you miss? All right. So usually as I'm loading, sometimes I go back and if I miss a step, I would correct the step. Hopefully he would see him and I'd tell him X, Y, and Z. And he'd be like, all right. And that's how, you know, eventually he begins to, to, to gain your trust and use, and you move up in your, your career kind of a thing that, yeah. you know, you get, they know you, you get the concept of what we're doing. So Kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we also talked a little bit about how your mentor inspired you, uh, you know, to just kind of have that thirst for knowledge and that that I've been working over here. Work started 15 minutes ago, just kind of getting him to follow. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about inspiration. And, Chris, before we started talking on the podcast, I um, – we talked a little bit about your brother and your older brother. You lost him in 2005. He was in the Marines. What what inspiration or lesson did he teach you? And if you don't mind unpacking that a little bit and sharing a little bit about your brother. Sure. Okay. Yeah, okay, let's see. Well, I mentioned I had a, a brother, an older brother that played hockey. Um when I joined the guard, uh, he had gone through some. He too had played a little hockey and played some Division Three hockey up at Concordia, and you know, had some roadblocks in his life that uh, he was working through. And uh, so I joined the guard, 
It wasn't much longer after that. Well, I'll say one thing. I think my brother was always geared to do a certain job because even when I was in high school, uh, for whatever reason, there was leatherneck magazines in the bathroom, and he was uh, definitely, uh, I don't want to say the center of attention, but people were just naturally gravitated towards him, and you know, he was a good leader. So, uh, what was the question again? Just uh, tell me about your brother. Yep. And what about your brother inspired you, or what lesson did you gain from your brother? And oh. Tell us a little bit about. Uh, yeah. You were mentioning he played hockey. Yep. Okay. So yeah. So for me, you know, I, I grew up watching him play hockey. Oldest child. Uh, I just kind of tried to follow in his footsteps and. and do the things that as a even being four and a half years younger than him that that he did mm -hmm. and he you know hockey's a big thing lead by example right lead by example so, uh, quiet uh, talker right or you know soft-spoken and uh, yeah let me just see how I want to formulate this so yeah, he joined the Marines Back in, <clears throat> must have been 98, 99, somewhere around there. Same year you joined the Guard. Yeah. And it, you know, I didn't really tell my parents. I don't think that they were too thrilled with that thing. But he knew that was something he needed to do. And that was the avenue he wanted to take. And, uh, yeah, he, he was good at his job. Uh, in 2005, he was leading a team. Of Marines in Iraq. Yep. And um, they got hit by a, a improvised explosive explosive device. That is right. Yeah. And he was four years older than you. You were in the guard and in, in the military at that time, and and he was in the military at that time. Yep. Did you join the guard? You didn't join the guard because of your brother, correct? Nope. But there were aspects about your brother that seemed to inspire you, and even now, that sense of, of quiet purpose. Or, but you were both two completely different people. Well, yeah, we were, we were night and day. Yeah, you know, there was a, like I said, he, he, you know, kind of the center of attention, and he just naturally, people gravitated towards him, and he had a little bit of a, a wild side in him. Unlike me, I'm a little bit more reserved and like to crack jokes in a different way, but. Uh, yeah, he was definitely high speed, low drag too, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know that that day happened, and you know that's a day as the <clears throat> as the years go on, now you're like, holy moly, it's been that long. I can't even really. My my, my kids never met him. Uh, my wife barely knew him. Mm -hmm. uh, he died July. 23rd, 2005. Yeah. <clears throat> it's my little Ford Focus that I drive around. I bought that July 20th, 2005. Still drive it? Still drive it, still running. And as I was driving in today, actually, I was like, man, you know, I'm, it's it's on its way out, but it's like, really holds no significance, but still, it's like, when it's gone, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going to go to the scrapyard. So. Probably those Ford Focus though. Yeah, it's a great car. They are snapped a control arm the other day, so yeah. <laughs> Always got something to fix. When Always you're got something a good to fix. Car. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, you know, the only thing I can say about my brother and the unfortunate events that uh, I think the job that he was doing was the job for him. He loved being a Marine, and uh, he felt no pain. Yeah, yeah. I I read some of the things that people say about Chris Op, Osp, sorry, Opscar, and and one of the things that you value so much in where you're at is relationships and people, which for a maintainer, that's pretty darn good. Sure. Um, that sense of closeness comes from you know, or that sense of uh, closeness in relationship. That doesn't just show up overnight, um, and maybe that's one of the things that your brother gave to you is that people are value, people have value, and they have something to teach us and hold on. Thanks for sharing that story about your brother. Yeah. Um, so, 
the second part, we like to get a little more light in the second part. And so we, we start <laughs> off, let's talk about your brother. Yeah. But uh, one of the things is, you know, doing quick questions. This is something you didn't get a chance to get to on the one podcast that you were listening to. Oh I know you're a huge fan of the podcast and the one half of a podcast that you've listened to so far, <laughs> rave reviews, right? Yep. But quick questions. So there's rules to this. Oh, boy. It's the first answer that pops into your head. You can't think about it for a really, really long time. Okay. Um, I'll just I'll ask you a question. you got to answer it real quick. You ready for this? Uh, you bet. All right, cool. Wayne Gretzky or Connor McDavid? Oh, McDavid. Habs or Leafs? Leafs. Best boy band from the 90s? Oh, probably. Well, is that whatever one... Uh... Is it in sync? Is that what Justin Timberlake was on? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> he was not in in sync, but that's okay. Uh, favorite Christmas food? Oh, favorite Christmas food. Jeez, candy for sure. If that a food is sure, I'm a candy it's guy. It's it's one of my five major food groups. Yeah. Movie that made you cry? Oh, probably. Oh, geez, real sad. Probably The Notebook. <laughs> really? Yeah, probably. Good for you. Me too. Yeah. Hallmark Channel or Comedy Central? Uh, I don't watch either a lot, but as my it probably, geez, depends on what I'm Comedy Central. I'm surprised you even thought about that well, for that long. I don't know. It depends on what mood I'm in. This time of year, everybody loves a sappy love story around Christmas. Yeah. So um, you share an alma mater with some pretty notorious people. Oh, okay. A lot of people have graduated from Princeton, Chris. Oh. Uh, Brooke Shields, <laughs> Michelle Obama, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Sure. F. Scott Fitzgerald, John F. Kennedy, and Bob Backlund all graduated from Princeton. New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> Who do you think you have the most in common with from that list? Oh. I wasn't. I was, yeah. I'll, I'll go over it again. Listening skills. Here we go. You ready? Yeah, that's Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. Michelle Obama. Okay. Jeff Bezos. Sure. F. Scott Fitzgerald. John F. Kennedy. Oh. Or Bob Backlund. <sighs> There's a wrong answer here, guy. Yeah. Bob Backlund. Why? I. I don't know. <laughs> wow. I'm surprised that you went with that. Okay. So Bob Backlund, for people that are listening to the podcast and don't have the notes that I have in front of me, graduated from Princeton, Minnesota. Sure. None of the other people graduated from Princeton, Minnesota. Yep. Okay. Bob Backlund also went to North Dakota State. Okay. Where he wrestled. Okay. And Bob, I, I, I know the name. So, so far. I'm over for, for two. Or you whatever. got it right. Okay. <laughs> I'm impressed. Bob Backlund was a professional wrestler and was recently inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Okay. And he held the championship for the second longest amount of time. Good for you. I'm sure my dad knows him or he knows my dad. Uh, I would not be surprised. <laughs> my so, dad probably had him as a student. I imagine your dad taught in Princeton. Yes, he was an industrial arts teacher. All right. He probably did. Troublemaking kid. Yeah, that, that, that name is very familiar. So you both went to NDSU. I don't know what he majored in, but okay. um, still very impressed that you uh, you know who Bob Backlund was. <laughs> um, I asked you, what do you have in common with him? If you were going to be a famous person, what would you be famous for doing? Oh, boy. I, I don't know. Oh, Maybe. really? Yeah, I... I don't know. I'm sorry. Movie being star. Being goofy. Yeah, comedian. Yeah. yeah. I would have gone with that. That's yeah. that's totally good. Um, so we're moving into a new year. 21 has been hard. Yeah. 20 was hard. Yeah. What do we have to look forward to in 2022 as we, you know, roll into the new year? It's a good question. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, these last two years have been... Like I said, time flies and you're having fun. We got back from the deployment in March of 20. And then, you know, there was the whole shutdown and kind of stay in your house. And, you know, you live through that. And then you kind of get back to work. Uh, and then we saw a little light. Now it kind of seems like the light's 
closing a little bit, depending on who you are and what you believe. But uh, as far as 22 goes, you know, we're going to still be here pushing our mission ahead. And uh, yeah, hopefully we, you know, as what I've, what I've personally seen is, you know, it looks like they're making uh, progress in what we're trying to battle here. And it's hard sometimes as uh, for an individual to be like, especially when we were wearing the mask to like then take them off and uh, go into, you know, go somewhere. You just you kind of forget what that normal was. Yeah. Uh, and everyone says we'd like to get back to normal. And uh, yeah, that would be real great if we could. What do you personally look forward to most this coming year? Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say this, and my wife won't believe it. It's probably finishing my house. And uh, <laughs> I've been working on that for a long time, and I'm sure my kids, will, will, those guys will get a big chuckle out of that because it is a big thorn in my side. But uh, trying trying to, to get that done and uh, just keep, you know, watching my kids grow up and working out here. And, uh, yeah, I started, I, one thing I started doing, I started mountain biking a little bit. So, uh, hitting the trail a little bit more and trying to get some more miles. Sounds like a great way of uh, starting the year. Yeah. If you can go out in the snow a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we do have a lot to look forward to in 2022. Yes. And, Thank you for letting me highlight a little bit about maintenance, especially a lot about you and uh, sharing your story and what makes uh, another part of our, our wing a really, really special place, Chris. Yeah. And thanks for making a good family out here. Appreciate it, Chief. And thanks to all of you for joining me on Beneath the Wing. Make sure you listen in next time. We will hit episode 25 and we'll also hit the year 2022 on the ground and running. Take care, everybody. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas.